this edition of Tech on Fire with Blaze. I'm Blaze Stewart, architect at Winelect, and today we're going to be looking at a couple of announcements on Microsoft Azure. It's been a very busy week, so I'm going to have to hit the highlights on this. And then we're going to be looking at the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure contract from the Department of Defense and Microsoft's involvement in this contract. First, let's talk about some of the announcements on Azure. Microsoft announced this week that they are facing some capacity constraints on Azure as the demand for Microsoft services has surged in recent weeks due to COVID-19 and the distributed workforces and things like schools and corporations and government agencies that are basically working remote and then having to still provide services, which typically would be done in a more co-located capacity. And they are trying to meet these demands by working with schools, corporations, and government agencies and making recommendations on how to best utilize Microsoft services in the current state. And even so, they are still working to figure out how to increase capacity and what have you. But as the demand grows, they are still prioritizing healthcare-related workloads like first responders, healthcare agencies, and emergency management systems, as well as government agencies that are managing all of these efforts to combat COVID-19. So in my own dealings with some of my customers, they have experienced some capacity issues in specific Azure regions and have been encouraged to go to other Azure regions that are less utilized. And that's been one of the solutions uh, for dealing with some of the capacity constraints on Azure. Microsoft made a lot of announcements this week related to Azure Security Center and a lot of updates in Security Center as they continue to grow that product. Two of them relate to containers where they now have scanning for vulnerabilities in Azure Container Registry, which is a much needed add-on for uh, Azure Container Registry, which hosts Docker images for running on any kind of platform that can run uh, Docker images. Having that available will scan for vulnerabilities in those containers so that you can look for those vulnerabilities when images are published and you can make sure that none of that bad code gets deployed to container environments that will be running those containers images. And they also announced threat protection uh, for Azure Kubernetes services, which is a much needed service in response to some of the rising threats against Kubernetes because the platform has grown and it has become immensely popular. It has also become a large target for folks that are looking to expose or exploit compute clusters, particularly at Kubernetes. And the response here is to make sure that you can scan your Kubernetes cluster for threats and that will help give a better security posture for Kubernetes that is running in Azure and running Docker images that can be working with Azure Container Registry. So these two um, announcements as it relates to containers can help improve the security posture of containerized workloads running in the Azure space. Microsoft also announced in the free tier for Azure Security Center that they are making identity recommendations so you can help improve your assessment of identities that are being used in your Azure environment there. So there's a lot of other things that were mentioned in the this long post, actually a couple of posts related to Security Center this week. So if you want more information about that, I suggest you go out to Google and just Google Azure Security Center new announcements and you can find out more about what's going on on this product from Microsoft which is more or less the umbrella product for managing all the security features of Azure and making recommendations and doing threat analysis against things on Azure. 
Microsoft also made some announcements related to uh, Azure archive storage. And there's some advanced features here that people can take advantage of. Now, archive storage is typically used for offline backups where you can have things stored on Azure in a disconnected mode. And it's very inexpensive and very affordable to do that. And the trade-off is because it is an offline backup, it has all the backups have to go through a rehydration process should you need to actually get access to that data. And now they're offering priority retrieval for archived storage so that you can pay extra for the retrieval process in the event that you need to access that data and it will be rehydrated more quickly than the the lower tier which doesn't have that same priority also now you can also upload directly to archive storage previously with this you had to upload to either hot or cool and then switch the kind of tier to archive storage and then it would be taken offline now you can upload directly to hot cool or archive storage so these enhancements made available to archive storage make doing uh, offline backups to Azure um, a very easy solution using a tool like AZ Copy or some other solution that can then put data into Azure blob storage and then put it into an archive storage so it can be stored in the cloud and offsite for backup purposes. And one other availability announcement, Microsoft also made available to Azure Gov, Azure Migrate, which is useful for moving virtual machines from on-premise data centers into Microsoft's data centers using the migration utilities in Microsoft Azure. Today we're going to be looking at the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure contract put forward by the DOD, and this contract is worth $10 billion. Now the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, also known as JEDI, is a contract that was put forward by the DOD to modernize the DOD's infrastructure to make it more cloud-oriented. So up to this point, the DOD has not gone through this process of moving to the cloud, and they're looking to do that. So that rather than create a a bunch of smaller contracts that were brokered by each individual agency within the DOD, maybe even branch of the military. The DOD wanted to produce a infrastructure that was more consistent across the entire military space. And they produced a outlined that would, in, in, in effect, select a single vendor to provide cloud services for their infrastructure needs going forward. And this infrastructure needs were many, in many ways related to secure infrastructure that would be able to run the rigorous applications that the DOD uses in a secure way that is much beyond the typical security that is employed in most enterprise applications for the private sector. So these high standards of security had to be met by whatever vendor that they selected for this particular contract. Now, early in the bidding process, there were a number of vendors who were vying for this contract, including some smaller players like Oracle, Google, IBM, and Hitachi, who were producing some results with their cloud offerings. And then the two larger players who are still competing over this particular contract, including Amazon and Microsoft. Now, 
early on, the conflict of interests that were between Amazon and the DoD were brought forward by allegations from Oracle, specifically around a man named Deep Ubi, who had engaged with business discussions with Amazon while still employed at the Pentagon. And this conflict of interest really had uh, some implications as it related to the selection process. And Oracle sued over this because they believed that this conflict of interest really skewed the selection process very much in favor of Amazon at this point. The court documents filed by Oracle alleged that Ubi was in favor of Amazon, where he publicly praised the company while he was still at the Pentagon, even tweeting, once an Amazonian, always an Amazonian, proud today, thank you, at Jeff Bezos, where he was praising Jeff Bezos' resistance to Donald Trump's immigration ban, which was the hot-button topic at that time. A second filing from Oracle implicates another individual with conflict of interest named Tony DeMartino, who is a deputy chief of staff under the Secretary of Defense. He had formerly consulted with AWS in April of 2017, according to the filing, and this meaning that he had a conflict of interest while in the early procurement of the DoD contract being put forth in favor of Amazon. Oracle did eventually drop out of the bidding process for this particular contract, and it was down to AWS and Microsoft being the only two vendors who could really deliver on the high-grade security that was needed for the DoD systems. And the contract was awarded to Microsoft on October 25th, 2019. About a month later, though, Amazon filed a suit against the Pentagon saying they were denied the $10 billion contract because of external pressure from the White House. And they filed in a suit on November 22nd that was made public on December 9th that there was external pressure from the president in relationship to his ongoing feud with Jeff Bezos. This feud between Donald Trump and Jeff Bezos is very much in the public space on Twitter as the two men vehemently disagree on a number of issues. Uh, the allegations made by Amazon is that this public feud had influence over the selection process on Amazon with the uh, Pentagon favoring Microsoft and denying the contract to Amazon because of that. The complaint cites a book that was published by a former official at the Pentagon claiming that Donald Trump wanted to, quote, screw, end quote, Amazon by denying them the contract and ultimately awarding it to Microsoft. The investigator general, however, did release a report last week on April 16th that said the selection process at the DOD did not express particular bias towards Amazon or Microsoft in the selection process. Now, this only applies to the internal selection process from the DOD. It does not do anything to clear the president of any bias towards Amazon or against Amazon in this particular selection process. It only applies to the internal workings of the DOD. So the external influence of the president uh, by the alleged claims made by Amazon and their complaint have yet to be resolved. So this will be an ongoing issue as it relates to the DOD contract. John Palmer, who is Deputy General Counsel at Microsoft released a blog post on April 15th, and he says, and I quote, We can all agree that bid protest cases and the judges that preside over them serve an important function in helping to ensure 
fair procurements, but Amazon's suggested approach, bid high, lose, try again, isn't fair. It's the opposite. The Jedi procurement has lasted more than two years. There is a simple explanation from Microsoft's victory, the strength of our technology, and our willingness to listen and respond to our potential customers. Even if you believe that Amazon may have started as a front runner, it's clear that our team worked hard to catch up and surpass them by investing in our technology and listening to the DoD." End quote. So what are the takeaways from all of this? While I think there are a lot of things we could say, the one thing that we can't say is what will the ultimate outcome of this be? Microsoft has been awarded the contract, but who the ultimate winner will be is yet to be determined because of the ongoing legal battles that have yet to be resolved. And when those resolved, they could take the contract away from Microsoft. They could keep it with Microsoft. They might have to go through another bidding process. Who knows? The outcome is to be determined. But one thing that isn't determined is how Microsoft deals with their customers. Now, my, how Microsoft deals with their customers is something that resonated with me from John Palmer's article and where he outlines how Microsoft might have initially been an underdog in this procurement process, but they worked with the DOD, listened to the requirements, and then came back with solutions that either met the requirements or exceeded those requirements, whatever they might have been. And my personal experience in dealing with Microsoft, particularly with Microsoft Azure, has been dealing with Microsoft very intimately with the customer. So in many cases and multiple customers and multiple different avenues, whether it be government, whether it be private business, uh, I have dealt with Microsoft employees directly, be it engineers, architects, and other leadership in the Microsoft space with the customer who would have engineers, architects, and other technical individuals on a single call. And we would all be collaborating on solutions that both served the customer's needs and had the Microsoft blessings. Now, as a third party, I was principally there to be the consultant working with the customer in the Microsoft space in the particular projects. But in all in all, the solution was not a consultant to customer. It was a Microsoft customer and consultant working together to produce something that really did work well in the Microsoft space. Now, that ethos is not something that's unique to how I deal with customers. It's something that Microsoft promotes with its own employees and its own customers and those who work in the Microsoft space as partners with Microsoft. And with that, Microsoft has really been able to partner with a lot of organizations who are well-known for providing innovative solutions on Microsoft Azure with Microsoft Blessings, and has really helped build the Microsoft Azure cloud to be what it is today. And that same attitude has certainly been taken to the DoD, where Microsoft might have been an underdog, but they rose to the top and listened to the customer and was able to produce superior solutions for, solu for problems that might have been presented to them, uh, whatever those problems might have been. I think another thing that we can point out is how Microsoft has really steered clear of a lot of the political implications of this particular contract. We don't really see Microsoft being named in conflict of interest cases like we saw from Oracle against Amazon in relation to this particular contract. And we don't see a, any kind of public battles that are going on between uh, leadership at Microsoft or in the Microsoft space with the president or any other political figures. Rather, what we do see what Microsoft has been doing, especially in, in re response to COVID-19, is Microsoft 
partnering with agencies, including government agencies, to provide technical solutions to real-world problems and not getting involved in the politics of it all. And with this, Microsoft has really worked to provide information and technology that serves the public interest in partnership with many different organizations to bring them together to come up with real solutions uh, to real problems, including the ones that we are facing globally right now with the COVID-19 disease. So thanks for listening to this episode of Tech on Fire with Blaze. We'll be looking at some more developments on this probably in the future as it unfolds. And we'll be looking at some other things in the Microsoft space in the coming episodes. So thanks for listening and I look forward to seeing you on future episodes of Tech on Fire with Blaze.